Hello and welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal episode 63. It's going to be another relaxed episode like the last one. I'm just going to go over a, a handful of albums I've been enjoying over the last few weeks. Mostly albums from late 2019 or uh, newer releases from 2020, but a few uh, older ones thrown in there that have caught my eye recently. So first up, we've got a top-notch brutal death metal album from last year. This is Fulci with Tropical Sun, an album quite late to actually came out back in May. So these guys I, I was basically completely new to. They're an Italian band uh, who've been going for a little while now, and this is actually their second full-length. I've not checked out the first one. But this just immediately caught my attention. It's just being really well put together quite by the numbers brutal death metal their kind of unique spin on the the idea is much like their director namesake uh, Lucio Fulci they've included a lot of horror movie elements particularly actually this album is entirely based around clips and samples from the movie Zombie 2 so over the course of its runtime there's kind of a narrative going on um, we get like the, the album uh, kicks off with Voodoo Gore Ritual which has like kind of cheesy kind of 80 simps over this this spiel about like voodoo zombies and I, like I don't know whether the, the simps are lifted from the film as well I've not I've not seen the film it's based on or any of uh, any of Fulci's work but if it's really nicely in that that kind of using those clips into the songs works perfectly. So the meat of this album are the, these kind of short, very to the point, uh, aggressive death metal songs. There's not much on this album that cl clocks in much over three minutes. So they're all kind of chuggy to the point riffing. Um, a few cool things like some pretty good uh, leads thrown in in places like particularly in the opener Tropical Sun has a fantastically melodic lead which is really nice um, change of pace from the quite just generally brutal music on display the vocals um, sit nicely because this is a genre where I'm a bit particular about the vocals they're a nice low guttural for the most part there's a few moments where he goes into those like re kind of style things and I, I don't like those so much but they're few and far between they they hardly spoil it and the the bulk of the vocal work is really good um uh vocalist fjord is yeah really gifted uh uh death metal musician another, another interesting thing about this album actually is i don't believe there's a drummer there's no one there's no one credited with the drums, so I assume they're programmed. They've done a really nice job of it. They've they've not gone for the, the ultra-pingy snare, so you don't get those kind of over-the-top brutal death metal blast beats. Um, and actually, they do some really clever work blending some of those clips into actual songs. So in track five, uh, Machul Tribal Cult, we get about... Like kind of a minute of dialogue into this then like really doomy riff and sadly that only lasts for about 30 seconds i kind of i would have enjoyed them going off into like a full kind of doom track at some point in this album but otherwise it is just really decent death metal the riffing on this album's that perfect blend of brutal but sort of groovy and catchy and memorable and this is really emphasized by the the really solid chunk of the guitar tone it's got a, a real massive feeling to it and as they get in the sound for the drums right the vocals being really well performed the whole album just has a great tone this isn't like really reinventing the wheel or anything but it is just doing death metal 
absolutely excellent way. Next up we've got local heroes Segvera with their second album The Sixth Glare. This came out a couple of weeks back. Um, you probably won't be aware of this band. They're one like most me and my friends locally have got into just through their absolutely excellent live shows. They're a two-piece instrumental band very much in the vein of Russian circles that kind of extremely heavy apocalyptic what's often termed post-metal um, sound. They're a band that really impressed me. I think I first saw them back in 2018 when they were still working with a bass player. Um, he shortly after that left the band, but uh, guitarist Gerardo seemed to, without blinking, just switch to doing a cool signal splitting thing where he'd bring both bass and uh, guitar cabs live with him, run his guitar, I assume through some kind of pitch shifter, into, uh, into both of them. And the band lost nothing in terms of their sound. They're just still extremely heavy, extremely intense. This album, very much in the vein of their other stuff, um, as far as I can tell, where it's just a lot of slow-burning tracks that start off maybe with like a more mellow, atmospheric theme and will build up into like heavy, massive uh, chords or massive riffing over just these punishing like pounding drum beats not super fast but just massive sounding the whole thing with this is just about getting huge sound it's all about riffs um there isn't really any sort of leads or overdubs as far as i can tell on the album near enough everything is pretty much recreatable with just the one guitar and the drums live they also do some interesting work including small audio clips like small kind of voice recordings into their sound uh something that feels particularly pressing on this album is in the third track there's a, a kind of like what sounds like a news recording of talk of like a pandemic mutating and causing massive amounts of death which is in under the current circumstances absolutely terrifying and possibly slightly triggering for some listeners but like if this kind of stuff, the the kind of inclusion of these apocalyptic samples, works so well with the sound, the whole the whole album and actually everything I've heard from them, their live gigs also have this feeling of 
absolute uh, terror about them. Like, their their songs move from a kind of slow, impending doom feel to, like, a really urgent, upsetting sound, but it's always got that atmosphere of extreme intensity. This is one of those albums as well where it, it just works really well if you turn it up loud. This is... This is something you probably want to listen to on good headphones to just really surround yourself with and really dive into the atmosphere they're going for. Something I think they pull off really well, and this is probably helped by virtue of them being a two-piece, but uh, the guitarist and drummer just sync up so perfectly on this. They feel like an incredibly sort of tight unit, and I guess that's slightly simpler being a two-piece, but to be able to fill out the sound this much as a two-piece is incredibly impressive and as I say I've seen them live a few times now and they always like just bring this on a huge level live I remember actually a particularly interesting gig we saw of theirs was at the Cube Cinema uh, a local venue which seems to double as a cinema and gig space and so the, on that particular show all the bands bought their own kind of film to run as a backdrop and Segvera got this really incredible like thing of it was um lots of pictures of kind of factories and industrial stuff then interspersed with insects and weirdness with lots of like cool screen splitting that mixed with the instrumental music it was it was quite an interesting experience because there wasn't a front man or anything to focus on it's you know it was this weird experience of essentially watching like a live visualization and yeah i just remember it being one of the more intense and amazing gigs I've been to like they for such a new and young band to nail doing music to a backdrop you know in the way someone like uh, Ulver or or older Porcupine Tree might have pulled off I thought was incredibly impressive and actually compared to the other two bands on the bill they'd chosen something that worked so much better with their their sound and style yeah really impressive stuff um the album cover even feels in this kind of vein as well where um, it, it's sort of like a, a picture split into two with like a kind of live bird over a more natural landscape and then the, the, the skeletal version of the bird over a more cityscape thing. It, it fits really nicely with like the themes implied on the album. Earlier I compared them to Russian circles, but I actually think if you take uh, some of the slower, more mellow moments, like uh, Convalescence has a real um, Red Sparrows vibe to it, Another band who, with instrumental music, play around with similarly, like, doomy themes. Interestingly, I'm looking up their Metal Archives page where they're listed as a stoner-slash-post-metal band, and I've always felt like both those titles seem incredibly unfair for this style of music, because considering the atmosphere they're going for, I would not like to be stoned to this music. I feel that would just induce a huge amount of panic. And post-metal, I guess, I guess that, that that term to me always feels like it shouldn't be heavy, although actually everything I think of as post-metal is extremely heavy, so maybe that's totally fair. Possibly I'm just getting way too hung up on genre tags. Anyway, I've been talking loads about them live. This album is absolutely brilliant capturing of that live sound. It's a little rough around the edges, but... 
honestly, that totally works in their favour. This this kind of tone, to me, doesn't feel like it needs to be incredibly slick and polished. So if you, you're someone who can get on with instrumental music, I highly recommend uh, giving this album a go. So this is Segvera, The Sixth Glare. As I say, but it just flies by. It's... Um, absolutely brilliant album to dive into and just disappear into the amazing atmosphere. Next up, we have a debut solo album from Takafumi Matsubara. Uh, this was an album recommended me to me by Tom from the Heavy Hole podcast. I'm a big fan of Gridlink, this guy's previous, possibly still going, grind band. I think they're one of the most inventive acts I've ever come across in grindcore. And what Takafumi's done on this album and weirdly works because conceptually... This feels like it'd be a fucking mess. It's a 30-minute long uh, album with about 17 tracks, I think. And he has a series of guest vocalists, guest drummers, and guest bass players. So the only continual um, like theme throughout is his guitar work. And I think there's... How many guests on this thing? It, it's a ridiculous number. Yeah, some, something like 17 guests, like tons of vocalists, tons of drummers and two bass players. It being grind, I couldn't tell you whether every every track actually has a bass player or not. But some of the guests he's pulled in are of some pretty, uh, 
pretty high order grind bands. We have Vijesh from Worm Rot doing some drums at one part. Dylan Walker of Full of Hell on vocals for one one or two tracks. We have um, uh, Alan Dubin of Old Lady Drivers on vocals. So, and then there's like way more unknown acts involved, like members of Chapang, uh, Matura. Like so, there's bands from all over the world, like members of bands from all over the world, from all over the different generations of grind. I mean, having members of Worm Rot and Old Lady Drivers is like the new leaders of the scene versus one of the really early influencers. But what's kind of incredible about this album is it's consistent. It feels like a... As much as you can tell there's different vocalists, you can tell there's different styles happening, this is a really concise, consistent listen. It feels more or less like one band, playing with a lot of themes and a lot of ideas, but it doesn't feel jarring. An album... It kind of the concept put me in mind of, and I don't know if any of you know this one because it kind of went by without making much of an impact. About 10 years back, a band called Necronaut put out an album of a similar vein. So it was all Fred Espy doing all the drumming and a lot of the guitar and bass work for it, Fred Espy of, of Dismember. Um, and then he'd got in a series of all sorts of vocalists and guitarists throughout the scene. So, like, you had like Eric from Watain, um, JB from Grand Magus was on it. Uh, Nikki from Entombed and Helicopters was on it doing vocals. And the problem with that album was it really felt like an incoherent mess because going back and forth between JB from Entombed's style, uh, from Entombed, JB from Grand Magus's style into Thomas from At the Gates' style was just all over the place. And it, it felt like a weird compilation album rather than a continuous piece this is essentially that was a love letter to swedish death metal this is more of a love letter to incredibly creative grindcore and this works perfectly something about the execution has just worked so much better with this and i think a big part of that might be takafumi's incredibly unique guitar work with gridlink he the reason that band got me so much was the guitar work was so utterly brilliant it's this amazing combination of your you know your typical chaotic and fast grindcore but somehow in that like mess of extremely fast extremely brutal music he always has an element of melody there's always sort of a a very memorable often sometimes quite melancholy melody even placed at that hyper speed it's really interesting um yeah i i couldn't quite believe how well he's pulled this off and actually the title strange beautiful and fast is a perfect descriptor for his style so yeah if you're a fan of grind i think this is a near essential listen it's it's definitely the best grind album i've heard in the last couple of years like really and even like, it's only just topped by stuff like Wormrot's voices in more, if you're going back a little bit further. There's some really fun stuff later in the album as well. Like, because it's a 33-minute long album, it's nice to have a few things to to vary stuff up. So we get moments like um, Pull Out My Eyes has this very avant-garde, like, almost electronica-influenced intro. 
And then uh, uh, SAM later in the album, and another instrumental with some very strange playing with like dissonance and all sorts of weirdness. Then right towards the end of the album, we get abstract maelstroms where the guest vocalist is a rapper, and and it just fits. It it feels like it, it it's not out of place on the album. It you know makes you double take when you first come across it, but actually on repeat listens, no, it sits perfectly. Yeah, this is just a slab of absolutely excellent grindcore so if you don't if you're not aware of it go check this out and if you're not aware of Gridlink, go back uh, especially to their their latest album longana um again like just really pushing the boat out grindcore so yeah thanks a lot for this uh tom fucking incredible recommendation <laughs> This next band, I, I I wonder if any of you get this thing because I have it quite a lot. When you get into a band, especially like a, a newer act, and you really like some interesting, possibly more experimental music, they do, and for years you never go back and check out their first album or their really early stuff because you're worried that it might be generic. It might not have the the kind of the magic that made their latest stuff special and would possibly tarnish that by comparison. So, this is a band like this, or this, uh, I'm going to be talking about a much older album here. This is Mithras's debut album, Forever Advancing Legions. So, as many of you have followed, like, my end of the year stuff, uh, end of the decade stuff, huge Mithras fan. I, I think their latest album on Stranger Loops is incredible, but actually, before that, Behind Shadows, Lie Madness, absolute masterpiece, Worlds Beyond the Veil, brilliant experimental music. I hadn't until a couple of weeks ago checked out their debut album, possibly because it didn't have 
the obvious sci-fi theme that the the next three had, I'd written it off as maybe not going to be as good. I can put that to rest and say this is actually a brilliant album, although it is very different to their later material. So if you're not aware of Mifras, they're a fantastic experimental death metal band who play around with a lot of interesting things tonally, um, a lot of very spacey, weird guitar solos over incredibly technical guitar and drum work. Uh, the band has pretty much always been a two-piece of Leon Macy on drums and lead guitar and Rainer Cross on vocals. This might be using an even more obscure reference, but I found this album um, quite comparable, actually, to going back to early monolith death cult versus their later stuff where the early stuff was a far more traditional standard brutal death metal whereas the later stuff became quite avant-garde and out there although with with mithras you can already see seeds of them on this debut wanting to try something quite grandiose and over the top so the uh the title track and intro to the album the four minute long forever advancing legions is this kind of faux orchestral synth piece with little bits of um guitar work thrown over the top of it giving the album a very uh, epic feel before we burst in to trample their works which is just an absolute pummeling of a song the the way the drums are recorded and the sheer pace of leon's drumming on this it would like trample is exactly the right word it absolutely buries you. Mifres have always had this thing with their sound where, so the drums are very triggered because, you know, they're often playing up in the 270, 280 BPM realm. There's no way to get a, a tight recording without using triggers. But it does mean their drum sound is huge and there's often like a, a fight for space between the guitars and the bass and the drums and the vocals. And they, they always just about hold it together, but it does mean there's kind of a, a learning curve there. I feel it albums it takes a few listens to to really get your head around what they're doing because it's just really intense the things we we get with this where you can see like what's going to come in the future and like ideas that leon seemed to already have down very early on is the lead guitar work has his signature tone this kind of very reverb heavy like really chaotic sound but like chaotic but still kind of melodic um but yeah very hard to place because it's so washed out and delayed and echoing that you can't quite tell where any given note is it's hard to pick out an obvious melody but it all sounds kind of nice in the midst of this really heavy material reina the vocalist has a fantastic clear voice so you really get the full power of his lyrics Interestingly, with these earlier works, they were far more kind of ancient history, a lot of uh, kind of like Roman-feeling themes of the cover kind of plays into this as well, whereas the next two albums would be a dual concept, like one playing into the next, and the, the third album is more really interesting sci-fi tales, which I feel fit the sound a bit better. There's something there's something futuristic about this album, which which doesn't quite fit with the the more um yeah historical lyrical tone there's a lot of early nile and later morbid angel to their sound by later i mean sort of steve tucker era not of that obvious to dave vincent return album but yeah that that kind of barely contained 
chaos, like kind of a band pushing the limits of speed, but like keeping songs short, condensed, and hyper-aggressive, but having moments of technical glory in there. Um, yeah, the, while I wouldn't say this holds up to the later material, if you're someone who's enjoyed their later stuff, there is really stuff worth digging into here. That even they pull off having quite a weird midsection to the album. Arena Sands has some very strange effects over it, like kind of sounds like a a cheering crowd throughout the intro of it, descending into kind of this strange instrumental passage at the end followed by two instrumentals of very different themes, then coming back into the ultra-catchy Wrath of God, which is actually more of a slow track for them. I was expecting from the title something far more kind of pummeling like the intro, but it's, no, it's more of a, uh, more of a kind of slightly sort of doomy, heavier thing, thing like Nile on Sarcophagus kind of moment with some excellent lead guitar work in it. For 2002, this was some incredibly forward-thinking music. So if you're someone who's into your death metal history, I think it's definitely worth going back and looking at this and the next year's follow-up, Worlds Beyond the Veil. Because you have to remember at this point in time, this is pre-Nile like doing Annihilation of the Wicked, only just after Morbid Angel had put out Gateways of Annihilation. So this kind of ultra-brutal tech metal, still, still a growing field at this point in time, and Mifras clearly showing, even in the early days, they were a band completely capable of mastering this style.
Okay, so next up, I want to talk about the most prolific artist you've never heard of. This is Dea, and I'm going to be chatting about a few of his um, recent solo releases. So Dea is a Belgian-based musician whose work I came across because of his harsh vocal work with the band Malady, who you'll probably know I'm very fond of, and Dea's vocals are a big part of that. He's an incredible uh, black metal singer. But Dea is also a multi-instrumentalist producer and one of the most ridiculously prolific artists I've ever come across. So his name's D-E-H-A, and I highly suggest you look up his Metal Archives profile. He has something like 20 active bands on it, another 20 past bands, and I was listening to a recent interview with him on the Great Void podcast, and apparently that's not even scratching the surface. He has a huge amount of non-metal projects. So I think he, I don't think he actually plays drums. I think most of his albums have programmed drums, but he is a proficient vocalist, bass player, guitarist, keyboard player. He can do the studio work and his stuff varies in genre so wildly. Even just looking at his metal entries, um, we have stuff all the way from hardcore punk, grindcore, to ambient like drone music, like a black metal, like super depressive, angry black metal, to the hyper prog of stuff like Malady, even to one of the albums I'm going to talk about today, I Don't Want to Be Surrounded, which is like early 2000s pop punk. It's it's absolutely ridiculous the amount of stuff this guy's capable of producing. Uh, this year, so far, under the name Dea, he has already put out four solo albums. I honestly can't keep up. I haven't heard the latest three. The albums I particularly wanted to talk about are the three he put out before that, Cruel Worlds, I Don't Want to Be Surrounded, and How to Despise Humanity in Seven and a Half Lessons. So... The signature thing with Dea's sound is always his voice. He has this brilliant, pained scream that he can kind of convert into pretty solid singing as well. His, his voice always has a level of melody and beauty to it, even in his most extreme moments. Um, and in this interview I was listening to, he sort of kept coming back to the idea of he's not really someone who particularly gives a shit about musical genre what he cares about is the work he does having a massive emotional impact and this means a lot of his solo work is very rough and ready like he he doesn't mess around with getting the perfect take he does a lot of stuff on first or early takes and this does result in stuff having an incredibly powerful feel to it. So the album of his solo stuff I'd highly recommend is Cruel Worlds from the middle of 2019. This is another one, you know, like Segvera in that loose bracket of post-metal. Essentially, it's extremely atmospheric, extremely melancholy music with moments of huge heaviness and then moments of, you know, calm, very gentle music. It's... It's quite a long album, but it only six tracks are just tracks that build for a very long time. A particular highlight is the second to last track, Dead Butterflies, which is almost six minutes of gentle build-up with this quite kind of 
weepy vocal approach early on and then it just explodes into these massive guitar chords and huge synth sounds and his voice becomes more of a pain scream absolutely incredible stuff but to follow this up he put out uh yeah not many months later right at the end of last year the i don't want to be surrounded all one word which is an album where he was sort of taking on the ideas of doing a very throwback to the kind of punk of his teens he i think he's a little bit older than i am sort of early 30s so it was sort of a throwback to that kind of early 2000s pop punky stuff but it still has Dea's sensibility so it's still dark and melancholy and quite harsh sounding in places like although the riffs are very kind of punky the drums still descend into blast beats in in a lot of places there's a really fast double kick work and his vocals often move up into more of a screamed register I, i found it like it's a style i normally would have no time for but i found this actually very engaging and quite a refreshing listen and especially if you put it back to back with something like cruel words it's uh it's a very different listen uh then the next release i didn't get into so much how to despise humanity is kind of a more um modern death metal kind of thing with with some influence taken from hip-hop much like you know your dying fetus type bands it doesn't quite have the technicality of dying fetus but it does have like sort of some of the ferocity and i just i can't get my head around how someone is able to constantly create music on this kind of level i've honestly i've never seen an artist with so many albums to their name especially switching through genre like i mean i guess we have characters like devon townsend who do a lot of this but devon townsend's in a position where music is his living and i can't see like i, I imagine Daya mainly does the music stuff but i imagine uh he's not making huge amounts of money per album so where he's finding the time to do all this it's absolutely incredible the the sheer level of creativity is beyond me and when so for all these projects under his own name they are entirely him he's like there is no real guest features no one doing any of the studio work and this is true of many of the bands under his name and the fact they move between genres absolutely incredible there's so much of his stuff worth digging into but i'd highly recommend if you if you like any of the stuff like i'm playing here um go listen to that podcast the great void because he he sort of recommends a lot of um what he sees as like the highlights of his career because obviously this is a very daunting uh artist to get into off the back of um yeah, off the back of looking at their Metal Archives page.
So that was a clip from the track Dead Butterflies from his Cruel Words uh, album back in March 2019. And just to show the sheer contrast, here is a clip from the track I Don't Want to Be Surrounded from December Well, you're not going to like everything he puts out, I'm sure, like, at least worth appreciating the sheer, <laughs> the sheer level of skill being able to switch between styles like that. Next up, we're going to be covering one of my longtime favourite bands. This is the Project Hate 1999. They, you've probably not come across them because they're almost entirely studio projects, uh, playing a kind of interesting mix of industrial death metal with some kind of almost pop sensibilities in some places and some incredibly extreme elements in others. It's a very unique sound, entirely the project of um, guitarist, bass player, main songwriter, Lord K. Philipson, who's had some history in death metal before this with bands like um, House of Usher and Leukemia, Torture Division, as well as, you know, having some more more recent projects like Cadavergolt and Domin Dagan featuring members of bands like Vomitry. So with the latest Project Hate album, the, the lineup should be a huge selling point. Um, we have on vocals Jürgen Sandstrom, uh, most notably of Grave, uh, the Grave's earlier work, but a guy is massively experienced in the death metal sphere and just one of the best uh, death metal vocalists going. Maybe not everyone's cup of tea, but I, I find his vocal delivery to be one of the most incredible and impressive going. Drummer Dirk uh, Verburen, uh, most notably now in Megadeth, but a guy with an incredibly... Um, huge roster of bands he's played with. I mean, he was the guy Devin Townsend got in for the more difficult sections of his famously intense deconstruction album. And then the uh, album is rounded out by Ellen Asp on uh, vocals as well. So this is like... The, the, the main core of the Project Hate sound is a trade-off between Jürgen's death metal screams, Jürgen has been with the band for, since their inception in 1999, and against uh, Eleanor's, or whoever the, the whoever was doing vocalists, vocals at the time, clean kind of female vocals, like a very much a trade between extreme and beautiful. And that that's kind of the Project Hate sound, is that melding of those two ideas of the extreme and the beautiful. There, in at this point, there is a ridiculous amount of music they've put out. This is, I think, their eleventh, maybe twelfth album. They, they've and and most of these albums, like the last, I think the last six were all eighty minutes long exactly. And the earlier stuff wasn't particularly short, and not hardly any of them clocking it under an hour. 
it's hyper-progressive kind of kitchen sink music where just every element under the sun is thrown in there. Lots of, lots of take, lots is taken from electronica and ideas like that, as well as some more traditional kind of piano parts, then huge slabs of death metal riffing. Just absolutely monumental music. So if you've never come across them, they are so worth a go. On top of that amazing lineup, we also have uh, Dan Swano mastering it, and he, he always works magic with his band. He will. He a lot of the projects hate sound is based around the huge tone they get out of everything. Massive sounding drums, impossible sounding bass. I've there's hardly any bands I can think of that have the bass this prominent and this powerful in the mix. Like short of stuff like. Uh, those ones loyal by Boltfrau or, or um, Salt Rubbed Eyes. Like, there's very few bands that get that massive bass tone. So, yeah, you have him working some of the studio work. I believe uh, Lord K does all the other recordings, bar Dirk's drum parts. But on top of that, we have three guests. We have Lars Lasse Johansson doing most of the guitar solos on this album, uh, famously of uh, Candlemas. And then we have... Uh, Frederick uh, Falclair of uh, Unleashed and Firespawn. He adds a solo in there. Fantastic guitarist. You're not familiar with some of uh, Unleashed's later work. Just absolutely brilliant melodic player. And then finally, some guest vocals from uh, Johan Lanquist, the original and current vocalist of Candlemas. So yeah, ridiculous lineup. I think um, with with Project Hate Sound, like. They were a band that went through a lot of evolutions early on. They, they, they started out very industrial with entirely programmed drums. And then as we get to the later albums, like uh, particularly the change between Armageddon, March Eternal, and in Horus Modus Nostrae in 2005 to 2007, they suddenly become far more um, of an intense death metal unit when they recruit a real drummer, recruit more members to the lineup. The music gets more technical, more intense in a lot of places. Then, uh, a couple of years later, they lose the long-standing uh, clean vocalist, Joe Enkel, and after cycling through one more vocalist, uh, Ruby Rose, I think, uh, for two albums, we get to Ellen Asp, who has a very different vocal approach to any of the vocalists they've used before. Previously, they went for the very clean, very um, very melodic vocalist, whereas Eleanor's got a, a bit more of a harshness, a bit more of a kind of rock intensity to her voice, whereas before the, the other singers were a bit more mellow. I mean, she's even capable of going to this like higher register, like shrieking scream in places, which she's used to great effect. She's now actually quite long-standing with the band. Her first album with them was... There is no earth I will leave unscorched back in 2014. And the last four albums, I feel Project Hate have kind of settled into a groove with. In no bad way, really. They, they just they found a continuous lineup. Dirk's been with them for the last five, I believe. And yeah, they, they've just now got this really continuous sound. So each album has just felt like a slight development on that sound rather than Previously, as I said, like that, that change between Armageddon and Horus Mortis Nostri is absolutely gigantic. Like they, those two albums sound kind of worlds apart, and the change between vocalists and so on has made a lot of these albums sound quite different. These last four, 
more in a similar vein, but still really enjoyable. And I'd say the latest one, Purgatory, that came out only only a couple of weeks back now, is possibly some of the strongest stuff they've done. Like I think this might be the first one of the newer era that um, tops There Is No If I Will Leave Unscorched. I think it might be the best Eleanor Asper album. And it's just purely, it's catchier, it's riffier, it's incredibly memorable, but it has all the, the staples of what makes it sound good. It's still got that massive, intense bass tone, brilliant death metal riffing. Jürgen sounds as good as ever. His his vocals are utterly ridiculous. And then throwing in some odd elements there, like uh, Johan as a guest in there worked really well. The, the guitar solos are amazing. As we all know, Lasse is just brilliant at writing guitar solos. It all fits together really well. I think for, for some people, maybe the hardest selling point would be Eleanor's vocals because they are quite a, a kind of harsh, clean vocal kind of... And some and a style, actually, you don't hear so much anymore. I think this is a style of singing that was much more popular in like the late 80s, but... I, I still think it really works. I still think the trade-off between the two singers is absolutely brilliant. Uh, and it, it fits the incredibly complex music. With this, uh, I mentioned before, we're, you're looking at like an 80-minute long album. There's actually only six tracks on it, each each one going like well into like the 14-minute mark. But they are quite coherent pieces. This is not a band who are just stuffing, like, you know, songs together and cutting out the gaps. The These are songs that will go for a lot of movements and, you know, ten minutes after something first occurred, reference it again. The the craftsmanship of Lorcate's songwriting is next level. Like, if you go back through his albums, you can see how, from the, the debut Cybersonic Super Christ, like, how he's grown as a songwriter for someone who started off doing relatively simplistic industrial piece. It's still really good. I really like that first album, but the newer stuff has just got better and better in terms of adding more complexity, adding more elements, and as he masters each, like, yeah, that will then become part of the Project Hate sound, so just keep having new, interesting ideas bolted on. I mean, up until about halfway through the career, there weren't really a band that messed around with guitar solos all that much. Now, guitar solos are a regular occurrence in their music because he's got someone on board who's really good at doing it. Kay's a fantastic guitarist, but he's not a lead guitar player. He's he's just a brilliant rhythm player. I've mentioned as well, the bass work is amazing. I absolutely love how this guy plays bass. Like, he, I messaged him about this before, asking what, how he got the sound he does from the bass. And he said it's purely, he hits it really hard. He's just, like, he just, when he's using, I, I believe it's all played with a pick. Uh, hopefully I'm not not wrong there. But he's just absolutely smashing the hell out of the bass. And then, then getting that to take centre place in the mix. And it just really, with that... And Dirk Strumming, it really emphasises the groove of every riff and makes their albums really catchy and memorable. That with these ridiculously good vocal performances. There's a lot of keys and stuff layered on the sound as well. So there's a lot to get your head around in Project Hate. They are a band where their albums 
are well worth giving multiple listens. There's lots of like clever Easter eggs often hidden in them. I remember, um, oh god, I'm blanking the the album title now. Uh, uh, the Cadavis Retaliation Agenda, the last one with the the old vocalist, had all this really good stuff with um, instrumental interludes that led into the next song that like weirdly reference other bits of the music. There's ideas like that hidden throughout the stuff. It's just such dense, complex music. If you can get your head around the idea of more industrial stuff, like I think particularly um, a band we often talk about, Monolith Death Cult, if you like that kind of stuff, there might be a lot for you in Project Hate. And it's, it's well worth checking out just for like the cool connections to the old Swedish death metal scene. It's amazing, like, Jürgen being given a project like this to really stretch his vocal cords on, because as I say, he's one of my favourite death metal vocalists ever. It's it's a lot of time to put in. I know an 80-minute album can be a slog, but even if you just go over this first track, Kill Everyone, a couple of times, I think, I think most extreme metal fans could find something to really like in there. So the next uh, artist I want to talk about is, uh, again, slightly older release. This is Demonic Resurrection with their fifth album, Dashavatar, which was released back in 2017. The reason I brought this up is recently Demonic Resurrection kindly stuck everything on their band camp to be pay what you want. So I was able to pick up 
a lot of their back catalogue and actually I'd never given their latest album that much time for whatever reason and going back to it I realised I was an idiot on this front because it's probably the best thing they've ever done it's Demonic Resurrection are an Indian band who play I guess they list themselves as melodic black metal but there's there's elements of like melodic death metal just if you're into the kind of any of that sort of any of the melodic metal genres I think there's a lot for a lot for you to find in here uh, yeah, this is a fantastic album. It's a ten-track concept about the the ten aspects of Vishnu, and it does a really great blend of that kind of black metal riffing with a lot of like Indian folk influences. So the sitar, tabla, flute, as well as like additional guest vocals over the top of this kind of um, more modern take on kind of quite riff-orientated black metal all fronted up by uh, guitarist, uh, vocalist, and keyboard player Demon Steeler, who is kind of a, a very cool personality in the metal realm. I don't know if he's still doing it, but he had for quite a while a cool cooking channel going, in which he, I remember he did these really great videos where he'd cook a meal for um, some someone interesting from the scene who happened to be touring India and use that as an excuse to interview them. Uh, Really, really charming guy. I've seen seen him live a few times now, and yeah, fantastic front man. Uh, really great vocalist as well. It's like really powerful black metal scream, but also you know a really solid um, clean vocalist as well. Uh, yeah, this this guy this band are just a really whole package. Like they they throw a lot of those other influences in there, but on top of that, there is just great kind of traditional metal stuff. They're rare for this kind of um, style. There's a lot of really decent guitar solos. The the mix is very full. The, the only problem, and this is true of most Demonic Resurrection releases, so I always find their studio stuff just a bit too clean and polished. Like, I, like, I'd like ideally a bit more bite for it, but this is certainly like the least true it's been of any of their albums. The cover is a fantastically complex bit of artwork sort of i believe combining the the 10 aspects at once and you know fits really well i, I thought it was a lyrical theme uh they, that kind of dive into hinduism but sort of combined with uh demon Steeler's quite anti-religious perspective was really interesting you know uh quite a different taste of the usual fuck christianity you get in a lot of uh black metal songwriting yeah, overall, really decent album. I'd say tracks like uh, the opener, the opener uh, Matsua the Fish, really stood out, or uh, Naramashima the Lion, the Man Lion. Sorry, the, the the ones where they really go for the jugular are the ones I, I enjoy the most. Um, so I tried to Akuma the Tortoise is cool, but some of the clean vocal passages don't work quite as well for me as. Um, as some of the more more intense uh, like scream parts, is it? And as I say, he's a good singer. It's just I, I guess it is harder to write great vocal melodies than really cool scream parts, but not bad at all. And it, by no means a deal breaker on this album. It's it's almost an hour runtime, and I found it thoroughly like fascinating throughout its length. With them doing this deal though, I also bought uh, their Live at Bloodstock uh, release which is came out uh, 
summer 2019. I think the the performance, I believe, was Bloodstock 2018. And me and Mel actually, I think, talked about it on the podcast uh, a couple of years back. Um, yeah, this was a show I was actually in the crowd for. I'm actually quite visible on the front cover of, <laughs> of the album. And it, it was a really great capture of their short 40-minute-long set on the second stage of Bloodstock. So I've been saying for quite a while that Demonic Resurrection are a band that I think really come into their element live. Their their sound just gets that much heavier and has that bit more bite I always wanted in their studio albums. And actually, I, I think this recording of them is a really good quality recording, is the perfect representation of the band. It has a really decent uh, uh, set, like it's only six songs, but um, three from the latest album, uh, two from... Uh, their third album and one from the one after that and it's just a perfect kind of cross-section of their best material really interestingly actually the performance is backed up with by the guitarist and bass player from deeper fundus because only two full-time members of um of demonic restoration could actually make it out there uh vindrilla cave on drums uh, as well as demon stealer himself Interestingly, when I next saw Demonic Resurrection, it was the two guitarists that made it out there and not the drummer and bass player, so never managed to see them with the whole lineup. But they seem to lose nothing with half the band being fill-in musicians, and if you're aware of Deep Profundus, those guys are incredible players, so them stepping up to the job is, is no real surprise. But yeah, what we get here is six really intense um, melodic black metal tracks, like with quite a fury to them interspersed with Demon Stealer's incredibly charming crowd work. Like, he, the whole way through his set, I, I love seeing him so much because they're man that come all the way to India to play in the UK, and he just seems so, like, happy to be on stage, so pleased that the crowd was reacting to and enjoying the music. He, he just seems so incredibly enthusiastic throughout the whole set, and, you know, it's quite quite funny between songs as well. And sort of, yeah, getting excited that he shouted start a pit and a pit actually started. And the thing is, the crowd wasn't playing up to there being a recording coming out. We had no idea that they were recording this for a live album. Or possibly you mentioned it, but I, I didn't remember at the time this was going to be recording. So this was a lovely surprise that, like, a set I'd really enjoyed witnessing was recording, recording in such a, such a great format. Let's go! Let me see those hands in the air! Yeah. 
Next up, we have another really recent release. This is Igor with their fourth album, Spirit Spirituality and Distortion. So that's Igor spelt I-G-O-R-R. So Igor, or as he's otherwise known, Gautier Serra, otherwise known as his real name, is the guitarist, keyboard player, programmer, composer, recording, mixing, mastering for this absolutely mad project. So I think... Um, me and Rob talked about their last album a lot on our best of 2017's show, Savage Sinusoid. Um, and I'd got really into the band around that point. I'd picked up their 2012 release, Hallelujah, which was a very interesting album. Then with Savage Sinusoid, they put out something far more obviously metallic. So the, the core concept Eagle had for this band was um, to blend the, the elements of black metal, baroque classical music, breakcore, trip-hop, with other other sounds. So, so the band end up being this hyper-eclectic, extremely schizophrenic music, switching back and forth between myriad genres at every given moment. Um, Hallelujah was a real like triumph of the kind of more like electronic and classical end of the sound whereas with savage sinusoid the, he brought in a huge death metal kind of element to it uh recruiting trapalium drummer sliven bovier who absolutely fantastically tight musician like extremely heavy he also actually much like the project hate we have an interesting twin vocal attack of um Laurent Lunia doing these ridiculous screams and then like some lower, more operatic stuff, and then Laurie Le Pruniek doing soprano, like super high uh, operatic vocals, occasionally tending into like weird screaming and so on. So, with the new album, um, it, this was an interesting one because I found their last two albums extremely like immediate. They're the 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 elements that really excited me got me straight away. This new one, longest album they've put out yet, and quite a subtle one, especially considering there's still kind of the ever-present drumming. There's still that very um, intense metal drum beat between behind everything. Still those weird shifts of Igor just like twisting recordings and like with that kind of breakcore sensibility breaking up like the kind of metal elements but what there was a like straight away on this album there, there is a a big middle eastern folk influence so you're not quite straight away it starts with a kind of like spanish guitar acoustic influence and it, there's a lot more like kind of for, for this band slow burn moments on it um in recent years eagle have uh got in hundreds of guests for their songs on this one it's this album's no different. We have, I think, up 20 guest musicians playing cello, accordion, sitar, classical guitar, electric guitar, piano, various strings. Um, yeah, ridiculously complex lineup. Um, and and the sound is reflected like that. It's it's amazingly uh, 
mind-bending music. But they, they say one of the, the guests on it is vocalist Corpse Grinder Fisher. Like, he... And he delivers some essentially cannibal corpse lyrics over pretty straight-up um, uh, death metal song, Parpering. Uh But then, in the middle of this track, suddenly, like, weird chiptune-inspired breakcore, which I believe uh, Igor has made by, um, like, actually taking stuff from old, you know, 8-bit machines. And, like, if you watch the music video for this, it's a lot of fun there. Like, uh, there's a whole animated sequence of... Uh, like a, a kind of computerized corpse grinder smashing up a city, and his vocals are still going over this piece. It's a really, really cool bit of music, and actually, like, it's something I found interesting because black metal. He's often cited as his his sort of influence for the more extreme end of this project. But over recent years, we had on the the previous album we had um, Travis of Cattle Decapitation doing guest vocals, and they're drummers from a death metal band, so. There seems to be more of a lean to death metal in the sound. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Tracks like Very Noise are a terrifying, uh, completely punishing electronic assault. But then you've got stuff like um, Massive Himalayan Ritual, so Himalayan Massive Ritual, which is far slower and like using elements of like homemade percussion before going into some of their weirder stuff. Lost in Introspection, I found a, a really interesting moment. We're going through a long kind of acoustic guitar piece in the middle of it, just suddenly building up into um, like shrill operatic vocals over this really interesting like electronica moments. Uh, the the sort of the classical violins over a track like Paranoid Bulldozer are very reminiscent of their their earlier work. Well, like a lot of the the other tracks do have more in common with the last album. But what I found actually interesting on um, this album is Loras shines a lot more, whereas uh, Laurent on the previous album was crazy screams as more of the vocal highlight. Because this album is so much more subtle, that Middle Eastern influence, that Middle Eastern kind of folk sound they use quite a lot, it kind of explains why the album's longer as well, because they've drawn more stuff out and gone for some some sort of a bigger build-up moments rather than quite so chaotically shifting genres. Although, that's still very much in there. I really enjoy actually the last uh, track of the album, Kung Fu Chevrolet, has some really interesting guest vocals from a band I recently discovered, uh, Vladimir Bozart and Sharif Orchestra, who are another French hyper-experimental project. Like possibly more chaotic than Igor, and one that, unsurprisingly, um, Gautier has been involved in recording. There's a lot of interesting stuff on this album. Currently, I'm not feeling it lives entirely up to, or at least doesn't top the two previous albums, but it's cer certainly still incredibly interesting, incredibly unique music. You know, tracks like Polyphonic Rust are really interesting. The the thing is with this band is, I think they're a band you'll have time for or see as a ridiculous gimmick, and I don't think there's going to be any real middle ground. Personally, I really love this, but I've always been a fan of music that switches genres rapidly. Like I, I really enjoy that kind of chaos, I, but I know for a lot of people, they're a finest band 
quite silly. I think if you've not come across them before, this possibly isn't the album to start on. But if you're, you know, if you're an existing fan, definitely give them this one a go. It's 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 cool to see they've they've still found an interesting way to evolve their sound and include a lot of new elements into it. off I want to cover two local bands who have recently put out music. First up we have Herbicidal with their debut album dot 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 and nothing was achieved. So gotta admit I was initially quite worried going into this with a name like Herbicidal, um, tracks like Weed Bonger. I, I thought right this is going to be a very by the numbers stoner album which is fine but it's it's just a genre I, I'm so kind of burnt out on, uh, no pun intended. But these guys actually are doing something really interesting. So right from the opener, I knew this wasn't going to be your typical fare. The first song is five minutes of very slow building, uh, strange melodic music, mainly led uh, by bass player Mr. Foxen. Uh, doing this really cool, very um, reminiscent of Om, uh, if you're aware that the band uh, Sleep's drummer and bass player went on to form. Like, that kind of style of amazing-sounding bass playing, but it's not necessarily massively complex, but just sounds really interesting, really engaging, and actually can carry, like, a full sound. With little bits of guitar coming in here and there, it's this really slow build-up. After that, we get into the first song proper, Weed Bonger, which 
kind of comes in with some massive, like, that kind of down-tuned, overly fuzzed uh, Sabbath worship-type riffing. And the interesting thing this band do, which, I, again, I wasn't quite expecting, is a trade-off between cleans and screams. So Jake gives the band this kind of really rasping, high pitch well, not necessarily high pitch, but really really fuzzy, actually, like, really affected scream. And then we have guitarist Leon adding a kind of... Aussie-esque cleans uh, with you know quite a lot of kind of like reverb on them and this trade it, rather than doing like whole sections each the, the two trade back and forth throughout we get some great little bits of like lead guitar and the bass work still sounds like really decent in this track um, and uh, yeah as I said that playoff of vocals I really enjoyed then with the next track the the band take another turn in the the epic 13 minute still life of Moss we get this really slow building intro. Like it isn't till about seven minutes in where this song suddenly gets heavy and quite um yeah, quite aggressive in the second half. But the first half is very melodic, um, leading with cool atmospheric bass playing and gently like feeding back guitar. Also, actually the the vocal so Leon, the clean vocalist, does some amazing work in this. Like he goes from sounding quite Aussie on previous tracks to this has a real like later neurosis vibe in a couple of lines he throws in there. And then like towards towards the end of the track he goes into proper Dax Riggs acid bath territory uh, yeah incredibly impressed by his vocal work especially as he's also playing the guitar while doing while doing this Jake who we've had on the podcast in the past um his vocal performance is really cool as well a lot of these like long drawn out screams especially with that added layer of distortion making it all sound like really pained and intense he sort of flicks back and forth through different styles some kind of like higher register like black metal howls that drag out for a long time and then some more obviously like death metal influence grunting yeah a really really solid vocal performance i imagine like like with much of this band it could be very intense to witness live Th these guys just really have kind of honed their craft this and written five incredibly well put together songs the blurb on their band camp says they've been sort of sitting on this material for about six years and finally kind of got it together for recording. It's all quite a rough and ready home recording. But, you know, for this kind of style, I don't think that's actually really a downside. It gives it that slightly raw, live feel to it. The, um, the only sort of real criticism I have of this is because every song on this has a great atmosphere of its own. Like, really... Um, really cool stuff especially with those long build-ups is there doesn't seem to be any coherency between the songs so as one like as songs move between each other they just sound like just it there's no flow between them they don't seem to logically follow on one from the other it's just one style stops and then another one kicks off but overall that feels like a pretty minor criticism i, I was impressed I, th I thought this was some really well crafted music and I really hope it doesn't take these guys another six years to to put out a follow up. Like, I'd love to hear more in the style. Is there any anything that's doing stoner, aping bands I've mentioned, like Om, Neurosis, Acid Bath, like having moments that, that kind of feel like that, and actually bringing together all those different sort of styles in a quite coherent manner. Yeah, really impressed me. So even if stoner isn't your go-to style, I feel there's enough variation. There's enough of a varied influence pool for this band that 
I think there's some really interesting stuff for, you know, any metalhead in here. So finally, we have another Bristol-based band, 
this is embodiment with their second album actually due out in two days time uh paling genesis hopefully i'm not um or palingenesis all one word hopefully i'm not jumping the gun including a track although they did put out a single earlier um so these guys uh i've seen live a couple of times now and are kind of local legends in the scene they've um won Metal to the Masses, I believe, the year before Body Harvest won it, and they play a kind of very slick modern tech death, that kind of slightly melodic influence tech death, but still quite a brutal vocal approach. It's mainly guitarist Finn, Finn Maxwell, his incredible kind of lead guitar skills lean them over into the more melodic territory, whereas vocalist Harry Smith has a very much like a more brutal death metal approach. As mentioned, Finn Maxwell's lead guitar is what initially like really shines him in this album. He creates these great leads over like the more choral sections of the album and then fantastic solos in, in the other moments. But you know, this is a tech death band. It, all the members of it are ridiculously good player. Uh, bass player Kieran Hogarty actually, you know, cuts through the mix quite well. His uh, obviously, I always want the bass louder in any given music, but honestly, I can hear everything he's doing, and he gets like some fantastic moments in this album, particularly in a track like Internal Torment. He does uh, this amazing like little tapping run before Finn comes in for his bit of lead guitar. Drummer Leslie Preston, really solid performer. He He's one of those drummers who actually knows when to do a bit less. Like, he can clearly could just blast the whole way through the album, but actually gives the a lot of the tracks space to breathe in certain places, knows when to slow down, knows when to, like, drown a song in drum fills. Like, yeah, the, his performance on this is really interesting and... As expected, it's tech death. It all sounds incredibly tight. Also, something I hadn't mentioned is Finn's lead guitar tone sounds absolutely fantastic. So right from the start, when, like, in reverence through disgust, he breaks into this incredible lead about two minutes into the song, it's just, yeah, it's properly beautiful, which is, you know, a great contrast to the, the heavier moments of the track. There's another kind of interesting thing they go for on this album with there's a couple of instrumental interludes and even that first track has like this kind of 30 second build up. It cut like a lot of these I really enjoyed but was disappointed they didn't actually do more with them. There's a lot of ideas they play around with for like 30 seconds in an interlude that's very different from from the rest of the album but kind of thematically fits. I just wish with them they sort of built them into the songs a bit more, like much like that uh, recent Afterbirth album. They, if they had fit a bit more smoothly into the runtime, it would have been incredible. It's it's not not bad by any means, but it's just like maybe for future releases, an idea they could explore because this is by no means a long album. I think it's I think it's well under forty minutes. So, like it's it's certainly not bloated. It's incredibly tightly written throughout. But yeah, there's there's some ideas of other stuff they were playing with. I'd love to see expanded more. But what we get for the most part is, as I say, incredibly well-performed, slick modern tech death with fantastic lead guitar work, fantastic everything work. Um, yeah, and, you know, from a, a new and up-and-coming band, definitely worth giving a go if you're into anything from bands like Obscure and Necrophages all the way through to stuff like Archspire. There's 
there's definitely influences from all those kind of styles in here. So I think 10 bands should just about do it for this episode. That's more than that would be just too much new music in one go. We've got a couple of more structured episodes coming up soon. I'm really hoping in the near future to do one on Nile, but that is a ton of research. They have a lot of albums and a lot of interviews. And me and Rob are hoping to get together to do one on Aglock as well soon. So yeah, we'll have those coming soon. Um, let us know though if there's anything else you'd like me to cover uh, in the meantime. Um, yeah, but thanks a lot for listening. Uh, if you want to get in touch, contact me, Phil's Breakfast Metal on Facebook, at Breakfast Metal on Twitter, Phil's Breakfast Metal at gmail.com as well if you, you want to send an email or or like uh, actually a couple of the bands today, you want to send some music in, uh, I'll happily give it a listen. Can't guarantee we'll be able to include it, but always happy to, to give new bands a listen. Thanks a lot for listening. Here's Embodiment uh, with the first track of their, their new album, Reverence Through Disgust. <laughs>